Hello there, long time no see. This is me, Matt Conway. Uh, I know it's been roughly a year since I've posted a podcast on this uh, Audible thread. I think it's also on Spotify and iTunes. But uh, with everything going on in the world, I, you know, I've had a lot more free time, and I kind of want to get back into the groove of doing these podcasts, getting kind of the audio reps, and just in general talking about movies uh, to catch you up to speed with what I've been doing. Uh, I still am writing content at ScreenGeek.net, and I'm also reviewing films for Battle Royale with Cheese. Uh, Some of my content you can see on that website, and my reviews are also posted to Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, So it's been going pretty well, just working on the craft. And I'm looking to do that with this podcast. So I'm coming back today with five new releases. Uh, The way I'm going to do this is I'm going to be talking about the newest releases first. And then hopefully within the coming days, I'm going to do a few like catch-up episodes to talk about some of the stuff that's come out the last month or two. uh, Just to kind of catch everything up to speed and also to give me some more time to work on the formatting of what I want to do with the show and just, you know, getting experience backing back in the hang of things. So today we're going to be talking about uh, Jon Stewart's latest political comedy, Irresistible, the new Will Ferrell Netflix vehicle, Eurovision, the Dave Bautista action spy family film, uh, My Spy, the Netflix French actioneer Lost Bullet, and the Blumhouse's latest uh, Kevin Bacon-led horror thriller, You Should Have Left. Uh, so that's going to be today's show. I think the show, the next show I'll do later this week would be King of Staten Island, Artemis Fowl, The Five Bloods, and Shirley. And then tentatively I have one more show planned with The Last Days of American Crime, Vast of Night, High Note, and Scoob. So first couple of episodes are going to be more focused on just catch-ups with reviews. Uh, hopefully in future episodes I'm going to you know open things up more to news-related topics or best of worst of lists, whether it's of the year or of a certain theme, uh, depending on what's coming out. But it, it's definitely strange time to be talking about anything, let alone movies, because it, it seems like not a lot has been coming out with theaters closed, but if you really dig beneath the surface, there, there's been some good stuff out, and on today's show, sadly, not not to spoil things, but only two of the five movies I, I will be recommending, and they're very light recommendations at that, but some of the other catch-up shows, I, I will be talking about movies that I consider some of the best movies of the year so far. So definitely look forward to that. But for today, let's focus on our main five. And let's start with, I think I'm going to start with Eurovision. Because I think out of the five movies, that's the one that's probably getting the most spotlight. It's been either number one or number two on Netflix's top ten charts uh, the past weekend. I'm recording this on Tuesday, and it's I think it's still number two. So it's been getting a lot of plays, as you know, you'd expect from a Will Ferrell film. And this his latest vehicle, uh, co-starring Rachel McAdams. They play two Ice Icelanders, Ice Icelandians. It's the terminology is weird, but people from Iceland uh, who have grown up with this desire and passion to pr- uh, pr- participate and the Eurovision Song Contest. It's this epic musical event that encompasses all the 
best talent from the different countries across Europe. <clears throat> and they've been aspiring to be musicians and have their own moment in during this contest. But they're they're kind of thought of as the outcasts or the, the oddballs in their uh, quaint town. Uh, but a certain circumstances open up where they get a chance to not only compete to be in the contest, but they're actually selected for the contest. And once they're brought to the the venue and everything, the, the, the new stardom and fame and the interest of other top talents, such as uh, a Russian singer played by Dan Stevens, uh, begins to kind of split at their very close-knit uh, friendship. So it's kind of very much in the vein of Will Ferrell's typical comedies you have this very kind of niche or not as niche but specific sector or area that you know Farrell kind of focuses in on whether it's nascar with talladega nights or basketball with semi-pro this is you know singing performance artistry stuff like that and it it is kind of nice to see fail more in his element. Like this definitely feels like a movie that could have come out in 2009, 2008, because it does feel like it's very much another entry in that kind of comedic voice that he had. Uh, so that, that was kind of pleasant. And I think Farrell is always, whether it's the, the goofiest of characters and here he plays uh, a guy named Lars who has this, you know, he, he always gives some interesting accent and he's always just a goofball. Like the thing I really respect about Will Farrell is he has a very shameless over the top energy that he'll bring to each and every project that he's in. Like whatever the gag is, he goes in a hundred percent and I can get it why some people have found that kind of presence very grating over time, especially when the material hasn't been as good. But I always appreciate it because he always is brightening up the screen, at least. And it's really great to see him co-starring with Rachel McAdams, who I think a lot of people recognize as one of the most underrated, you know, versatile talents in Hollywood. She can deliver great dramatic performances like in Spotlight, but she also is... I think in comedies is a real force of nature. Like in, in a movie like Game Night, she has moments where she really controls the screen and captivates the audience and it just does these little small things. I remember in Game Night, there's a scene where they were taking people hostage, her and Jason Bateman, and she's just kind of dancing around the room gleefully with this gun in her hands that she thinks is like a fake gun. But just like the, the her mannerisms and the way she plays certain beats, I think have a very infectious kind of humorous spirit to them. So getting to watch these two together is a lot of fun. I think they do develop a pretty good rapport on screen. They, they bounce off each other well. And I think they're able to portray these kind of goofy offbeat characters without being mawkish it doesn't feel like they're overly you know cartoonish or contrived i think there's a good balance and i think they also do a good job of injecting a sense of innocence in, in their kind of wistful dreamer pursuit i i think it does help a lot in grounding them as people and as you know actual characters rather than like i said being like a cartoon so i i do think you know, I'm going to talk more about the movie's blemishes, but even even when they're on the screen, it's always a joy to watch. And I also think 
director David Dobkins, who is most known for doing Wedding Crashers and since then has really not done much. I think a couple studio comedies like The Change Up, but nothing that impressive. I think here, uh, working with this premise and the Eurovision and kind of the glitz and glamour of the event, there's a real sense of scale to the production. I know a lot of people say... Netflix movies kind of look like shit. They look murky and have a kind of sitcom TV-esque uh, filmmaking approach. This this didn't. This seemed like something that could really play in a theater. And along with that sense of scale, there's these really fun, goofy set pieces, these kind of offbeat visual cues. Uh, the music numbers here are really well done. I, I just think the movie, I mean, not only does it look good, but it, it presents a, a very offbeat but uh, you know dynamic and engaging comedic style that can often work quite well i i think one of my favorite running gags in the movie was uh, a certain pop star who i, I won't spoil is perishes in this like hilariously over the top silly way in the first act and then the rest of the movie they show up as a ghost to kind of haunt will haunt slash warn will ferrell of what is coming so there's some very like just off-kilter gags like that that i really enjoyed uh my problem is there wasn't really enough of that i think the off-kilter energy, it, it works, and especially works in the first act or so when it's portraying this kind of small-knit community in Iceland, which, you know, has its eccentricities, but it's, you know, deep down a, a pretty wholesome, likable place. Once we get to the actual contest, I think the script starts getting bogged down by kind of c- contrivances that you'll often see in studio comedies like this my apologies just a big burp right there uh yeah it's you have the classic comedy dynamic where it's like oh you gotta there's the conflict that has to split you know the two characters that are best friends up and i i think that's one of the most cliche and 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 just counterproductive things in comedies because it's like You'll have these two characters that have this great dynamic and it's funny to watch and it's entertaining. And then you're just throwing these very contrived roadblocks in their way uh, from letting them act together and kind of highlight the best part of the movie. And it's not like the conflict is something that's well fleshed out or really that interesting. It's kind of your generic, you know, oh, fame is getting to Lars's head too much. You know, it's, it's very simplistic stuff. And... It, it, the movie's really bloated, like bizarrely so. This is this movie clocked in at like I think two hours and three minutes or something, and it it really doesn't need to be that long. There's a lot of comedic moments in the second half, and also kind of story beats that kind of drag along. It's like you, you really could have edited this down, maybe even an hour and a half, cut out a lot of it, because uh, the second act I thought really dragged because it gets so caught up in these story contrivances rather than highlighting kind of the comedic dynamics that really work. And another thing I I think that people talk less about with Will Ferrell movies is there's usually a a kind of a sly sense of commentary or or, or at least a theme to these movies. Like I I think Talladega Nights is is a great uh, parody of kind of conservative culture that's very much present in NASCAR. And I think something like Step Brothers is is almost like a satire on the the man child genre that was 
very popular in the you know 2007 2008 and is is still very uh, prevalent today. Uh, this movie, I think, it, it kind of there's attempts where it seems like it's trying to kind of poke fun at the overly bombastic and commercialized nature of. Uh, the you know big or music set pieces and and just music in general that embraces this kind of confectionery style and spirit rather than having like an actual purpose behind it or an actual heart, but it, it doesn't really lean into that idea that much until like the very end and it has this just obvious like kind of speechified dialogue where it's like we have to sing from our heart and have the big song that's about our home and it's it it just comes off as contrived. So I just think it's definitely not the worst movie. It's it's also it's a very pleasant watch, and I think uh, a perfect fit for Netflix because I think if you saw this in a theater, a lot of the problems would be more noticeable for audiences when the pace is really dragging. But when you're watching at home, a lot of people, you know, they're bored. They just check their phone or something. But for me, I try to view you know Netflix releases and theatrical releases on the same playing ground. I, I don't want to give you know brownie points. Oh, it's on streaming, so I'll I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. So I'm gonna be fair. I'd give this a, a five out of ten. Uh, I I think it'll work more for certain people. I, I'm uh, or maybe it won't because I'm definitely a big Will Ferrell apologist. I'm probably one of the only five or ten people who who really liked uh, Downhill a decent amount that came out earlier this year. Uh, but I think it's definitely a step up from some of the recent comedies he's had, like Get Hard and uh, Holmes and Watson. Holmes and Watson was complete dog shit. But thankfully, this is a little better. So if you have Netflix and you're bored, you got two hours, you know, you won't hate it. I'll just say that. Like, it's okay. It does the job, but nothing to write home about. Uh, next on our list, we have Irresistible, the writing and directorial uh, follow up for Jon Stewart. His first movie was uh, 2014's Rosewater, which I did not see, but I heard uh, kind of lukewarm things about. People seemed to say it was, it was a pretty earnest, uh, well intended movie that didn't have a lot of dynamic qualities to it or, you know, just. Uh, originality but it, it seemed like an okay debut uh, for the former daily show host i think he hosted from 99 to 2015 so i growing up i actually watched a lot of john stewart i don't know why i just watched a lot of comedy central and he, he's definitely one of the kind of early voices that got me interested into politics and political commentary and in the humor that can derive from just how ridiculous our, our pr- political landscape can be sometimes. So I, I was really interested to see a movie where he was kind of stepping back into that political commentary uh, field. And he's doing so with Steve Carell, who originally appeared on some segments in The Daily Show during its kind of early years before breaking out and being, you know, Steve Carell, A-list star, you know, The Office, everything with that. Uh, so these two are reteaming, and it follows a Democratic political executive uh, played by Carell who is looking for ways for to connect the vote to the the middle America voting base, you know, kind of the the smaller quaint areas. And suddenly he he stumbles upon this speech uh, made by this 
at, at a town hall by this retired uh, military veteran played by Chris Cooper, where he's, you know, standing up for the rights of the people in the town and, you know, for the pro-immigration and, you know, spreading kind of democratic ideals. So uh, Carol sees this as an opportunity to, you know, get involved. And he comes to this small Wisconsin town where he looks to help Chris Cooper run a campaign to become the mayor of the town and, you know, further cement his party's ideals, you know, throughout middle America. So it's an interesting setup and it's definitely a relevant movie. I mean, we're in election year after all, and I could see it's, it, this is a frustrating movie because I think John Stewart has his heart in the right place. I think his script, it admirably attempts to criticize kind of the ambivalent disdain that political executives have towards their voter base, especially the voter base that are, isn't really like devout supporters of them, but more kind of the people in the middle or the people on the other side that they're trying to entice and win over. It's something that they do with kind of the sense of, you know, dismay, like, you know, politicians will always, especially when they're running for election or like running for president, they travel across the country, oh, they're kissing babies and saying hi and do all this and that. But I think I like that this movie tries to, show kind of the shallowness in these actions it's really just something like a, a big advertisement and i think stewart's you know idea to really zero in on that uh that those attitudes and, and kind of criticize them and satirize them in, in interesting ways it was a great concept and i also think he's working with some really good comedic actors who can tap into the kind of satirical tone that he's going for. Uh, Steve Carell, it seems like he plays this kind of uh, schmarmy, arrogant executive role a lot. I mean, he kind of plays a more outlandish version of this character type in The Office. But here, he, he's really, I think, good because he you could see how much just throughout the movie he's just like looking down upon everyone and just this kind of arrogance and brashness that he carries himself with and i think uh probably some of the the funnier moments of the movie is just him being in a complete sense of like an annoyance and you know anger towards this kind of small town minded attitudes but i i also think rose byrne who plays a rival republican executive uh it's it's great when these two share the screen it's really you know for I'd say maybe 15, 20 minutes of the movie is them on screen together, but it's fun to see these two, their interplay as rivals, especially on the different political spectrums. And Rose Byrne, I think is just a great comedic actress here. She really has this kind of mean kind of dry delivery, but really delivers it with a real comedic, uh, charm and ability and it's just fun to watch these kind of two very jaded arrogant people playing off each other and uh especially when they're as talented as Carell and Rose Byrne but aside from earnest intentions and uh, some good talent uh in front of the camera I think this movie largely misses the boat uh first off I think as a director John Stewart I can't really I can't really tell why he wants to direct because his, his voice on, on camera feels very passive and stiff. Like the, the cinematic language of the movie, it's very just 
like sitcommy. Like I like I said with like the Netflix movies that most people uh, talk about. This movie feels like almost like a, a sitcom visual style. It has this kind of overly jumpy broad score that kind of highlights certain comedic beats that feels very like out of place and bizarre and it just doesn't seem like the visual style of this movie or the shots are working at all to enhance kind of the ideas uh, on display it's almost like i i kind of just wish john stewart just wrote this movie and found someone maybe with a little bit more experience or an artistic voice behind the camera to direct it because he just doesn't do anything to elevate this movie and i think a a great director really could have elevated this movie because it it desperately needs more of a satirical bite to it i think not only in the direction but the script uh it's just the the jokes are way too mild and it doesn't really hold its subjects accountable enough i think a lot of the jokes uh instead of feeling like grounded like kind of attempts at poking fun at kind of real world political executive thinking. There are these kind of awkward moments of interplay between Mr. Big Executive and Mr. Small Town American, where it's like, it's kind of the joke is the disconnect and how these two different parties connect with each other. Uh, But it's just such a repetitive joke and it's viewed in, conveyed in like a very simplistic kind of awkward light that there's rarely a laugh like I, I on page like for me it's like the movie was at its funniest when it was like a small offhand moment or like Steve Carell making a face or something when it was like an actual joke that was written and set up they really fall flat and I would say they fall flat for most of uh, the narrative and I, I do like that Stewart's attempting to criticize both sides of the political spectrum we have the kind of People think of the Democrats as like, you know, the goody, goody, goody with, you know, more progressive ideals. But it it does kind of condemn their political uh, ideologies and the way they act towards their voter base. So I like that it it tries to do that. But I just I think it lacks the kind of specific nuances to really have something interesting to say about it. Like it's a it's a cool idea. But I think Stewart, instead of playing these kind of broad comedic moments could have focused more on making kind of an interesting thematic portrait uh also i i do have to say i i there there is a third act twist i think that actually really works well and it does kind of it does make a lot of the the first hour and a half that happens before it a lot it makes it make a lot more sense and it does i think improve the film in hindsight but it also doesn't excuse how simplistic the the movie is. Like most of it is, I like that the the concept of you you're seeing these kind of middle American people through Carol's kind of jaded perspective, where it's these very kind of folksy, quaint kind of simpletons. But I wish the movie did more throughout to kind of issue you know the dynamics that were being established rather than revealing its hand completely at the end of the movie and it's just like all right good twist but it still doesn't excuse the fact that the first hour and a half really didn't do anything that interesting so it's not a terrible movie it definitely is trying interesting stuff i respect john stewart a lot as a comedic talent and just as a 
you know, an insightful guy when it comes to politics. I mean, anytime he's has an opinion on something, I think people listen. Uh, but I just don't, I don't know if directing is really his forte, like two movies in, like, I, I don't want to judge Rosewater, even though I haven't seen it, but it just seems like his movies haven't been as received as they should be. And, you know, I, maybe, maybe you should try to find a good directing partner and, you know, hone in more on the scripts and his craftsmanship there. But it's just kind of okay. I'm going to give, uh, Irresistible a four and a half out of 10. It's don't rent it. I know it's on VOD for like $20. Oh, excuse me. Bad burp. Um, I wouldn't rent it for $20. I mean, if it's on TV for free one day, maybe watch it, but I'd overall, I don't recommend it. Uh, don't recommend seeing it unless you're really a, a John Stewart, uh, completionist, but, uh, those are the first two movies. I'm going to take a quick break and then we'll get into, uh, my spy lost bullet and you should have left. Thanks. All right, we're back at it and we've got three more movies to talk about. I'm going to start with my spy, the Dave Bautista family action comedy. Uh, it was supposed to come out in theaters, I think as early as last year. I know it's been moving a lot on the film calendar. Uh, it was scheduled again for March. Coronavirus happened. They moved it to April and then this, I think the distributor what was it? Oh, is STX uh, Films? They sold the film to Amazon Studios, and now it is being distributed through via Amazon Prime. So, this film you can check out for free on Amazon Prime if you're a member. Uh, it's a Dave Bautista-led family comedy. We follow uh, Bautista as JJ, a CI agent tasked with surveilling a. a a mother and daughter who are connected to a, a criminal family. I think it was uh, the mother's brother-in-law and she's doing this with her tech agent, Bobby played by Kristen Shaw, who's you'd recognize her from Bob's burgers and a lot of different kind of comedies uh, during their kind of surveillance work. Uh, the daughter, Sophie played by Chloe Coleman stumbles into their, their kind of, office set up and everything and it threatens to expose them unless JJ takes her out somewhere, I think ice skating. So she kind of blackmails JJ into becoming friends with her. But as the movie involves their, their relationship and friendship becomes a lot more genuine. So you've definitely seen this type of movie before. And it, it's kind of funny how it's almost like a rite of passage for these big action stars like Dwayne Johnson had uh, the Tooth Fairy and the Game Plan and Vin Diesel had the Pacifier and John Cena had that fighting or fighting with fire movie that came out last year. That, that looked terrible. I, I can I think it was fighting with fire. It came out in November last year, but he, he had this bad family movie too, but all these kind of macho action stars, they, they get, uh, kind of humorously casted into these kind of family-friendly roles. And I, I got to be honest, the, the the pacifier game plan, all those movies are, are just not good. Like they're, they're very kind of mawkish in their attempts to kind of appease kids and families. They're, they're very kind of 
dumb jokes, very overly broad. And instead of like, they they kind of try to have this kind of sense of action or in them, but it's always so poorly executed and so kind of toned down from what it should be. So I, I I wasn't even really going to watch this movie. I was kind of just bored last night and I saw it on prime and I'm like, you know what? I like Dave Bautista. I think he has good comedic chops as he's shown in Guardians of the Galaxy and also 2019's underrated buddy comedy Stuber, which, I mean, it's nothing special, but if you like him and Kumal uh, Nanjiani, uh, it's definitely worth a watch. But here, I got to be honest, it was a, it was a pleasant surprise, and I, I wrote this in my letterbox review. Somehow it's better than a Will Ferrell comedy and a Jon Stewart comedy. Like, there's not a world I would have predicted that would be the case, but here we are. Uh, and I really got to give Dave Bautista a lot of credit uh, for this movie working because he, he really is great comedic timing. He he He's someone who utilizes his kind of brooding physicality uh, to make himself this kind of oversized goofball. Like a, a lot of the jokes are just uh, are, are kind of him having fun with himself and kind of making fun of his image. I remember there's a scene in a, like a classroom where he's just trying to walk through all the desks and he's just like pushing all the desks, like this, like a, like a bull in the, the China shop. It's just, I just think he has this like very affable kind of goofy sensibility to him that I really like watching. And I think it really elevates kind of this character archetype that really, I mean, without kind of Batista's, comedic sensibility would just be the same type of character you've seen done to death before uh and i think he really dedicates himself to each comedic gag uh with you know earnestness and you know tries to find interesting avenues to kind of sprinkle up from from the the formula a little bit and try something different uh i also credit co-stars coley coleman and uh, Kristen Schaal, as I mentioned, uh, they, they both are really good in this too. I think Coleman, the, the kid actor role, usually it's like the, the kid just is annoying or not interesting. Uh, but he, here she's really like, she she owns the character's intelligence and, uh, you know, she really has this kind of toe-to-toe, <laughs> uh, not toe-to-toe uh, physically, but toe-to-toe kind of battles with jj i I love the scene where uh doing the uh uh, the lie detector test with her and she's kind of like throwing it back at jj and kind of making fun of him it's i think they really had great interplay together i mean the the kind of rapport is something we've seen before as i'll mention a lot with this movie it's it's a lot of stuff we've seen before but i think both actors really brought a lot of uh charisma and personality to it as long with Kristen shaw who's having fun as this kind of quirky offbeat technician who's in a constant awe of jj's kind of machismo action star uh presence and like I said, you know, with the other films I mentioned, the the pacifier and stuff, they they're usually very mawkish, and their attempts to be these kind of action comedies, it'll be like, oh, it's a spy film, but it'll have like these, like a two minute generic like action scene, and then like maybe an action scene at the end, and like that's like the spy extent of this. I think this movie at least tried to marry the kind of 
action spy elements with the family comedy elements a little better. I mean, it has a PG-13 rating, which I thought was kind of interesting. The action here, like people actually get shot. I mean, there's no blood to speak of, but there is a bit of stakes. And I think there is more kind of a grounded reality to the set pieces than there are in a lot of movies like this, which I really appreciate. And while they're they're kind of these low budget moments, I do think uh, director Peter Siegel, who's done a lot of kind of studio comedies, does a pretty capable job of capturing kind of the mayhem on screen. And I also want to give writers John and Erich Hober credit for infusing kind of a some self aware gags uh, throughout. There's some good, really good referential humor here. I remember. Uh, there's a, a kind of a scene where Dave Bautista is on the dance floor and Christian Schaal's character is like, oh, this reminds me of the, the wedding in Shrek. And I, I thought that was a really great uh, little joke. But like I mentioned, I, probably like five or six times we're talking about this movie. It's, it is familiar. It is as by the books as you can get from a, a narrative perspective. We've seen all of these plot beats before, done so many times. And it's not even like the movie tries that much to adhere from this formula and very much plays into it. Uh, I mean, I, I can't say I hate that it does that because it is pleasant to watch and it's enjoyable, but it, it does su- severely limit kind of the ceiling of this movie. The, the, the character dynamics, they're kind of sweet, but it's nothing that you know, that you're really going to get that invested in. And, you know, the action is kind of okay, but it's not really that creatively presented or anything. Like everything the movie does is like, okay. Like it doesn't do anything. There's very little aside from like the cast that I think really excels. But I I also really have to say, I, I wish that the kind of referential humor was present more throughout the movie because i think those are really some of the sharpest jokes here aside from batista being kind of a goofball uh but but they're kind of very far and thin between so i don't think the humor of the movie is always that great like there's always those gags that that play it too much to the kids where it's like these kind of really dumb pratfalls that uh just fall kind of flat so this movie really doesn't distinguish itself from its competition, but it does offer a better, more uh, inspired and more self-assured iteration of this kind of family film that we've seen to death before. And yeah, I think as far as watching it on streaming, I'm putting it on Prime, it's only like an hour and a half. Uh, I think people will have a pleasant time with it, especially if it's you have kids or you know cousins you want to watch it with. So I'm going to give My Spy a 6 out of 10, which... If you told me that at the beginning of the year after seeing this trailer, which looked really cheap and cheesy and generic, I I would have been shocked. So this was a pretty pleasant surprise for me and a a further confirmation of Dave Bautista's wide-spanning talents. Uh, So let's get into our other two films. I'm going to kind of talk about these two a little quicker because they did come out last week uh i'll talk about you should i you should have left first the blumhouse horror film starring kevin bacon and amanda seafried because this movie is available to rent uh as opposed to lost bullet which you can just watch on netflix so there is a little bit more of an investment if you want to see this movie which spoiler alert you shouldn't because it's it's not very good but this it, it kind of plays off the the standard 
haunted house kind of archetype story, but I'll give the movie credit. It does kind of try to do something different with it. Uh, We follow Theo Conroy played by Bacon, who's this kind of old, you know, kind of jaded, cynical guy. He was dating Amanda Seyfried. He was this like Hollywood scarlet or starlet actress and in their relationship, it, it, it feels a little strained and it's, I mean, based on their age, it's kind of bizarre, but I, I think uh, it's kind of that Hollywood dynamic where they're very much in the spotlight. Uh, Bacon for Bacon's character for a reason that you find out later on in the movie, but uh, it follows the them taking their their child, their young daughter, on a vacation to an isolated kind of modern home in Welch. Uh, but this house isn't as it seems, and as Bacon's character Theo begins to explore it, he begins to be confronted by some of the demons from his past. So this movie, it, it tries to do the the haunted, haunted house kind of narrative while dealing with trauma and kind of the trauma that comes from exploitative crimes or even like male toxicity and abuse. So I think it conceptually you have an interesting nugget of a movie here. Uh, the execution is just really bad. And it, you could tell with David Cope, Cope or whatever the hell his name is. Uh, he's written a lot in the past. I you know he helped with Indiana Jones four in the first Spider-Man movie. So he's definitely a, a pretty acclaimed name. And he's also directed some pretty good movies. I, I think premium rush stands out as a, a fun movie, but he doesn't really have a lot of great experience in, in horror, like at least recently. And you could kind of tell here, like I, I think the only horror movie he did was secret window, which is kind of a dud, but with this movie, it, it, not only visually does it look really bad, it has this kind of overly digitized look to it that doesn't really set an atmosphere or anything. But it, it, the movie's just lacking kind of uh, momentum, I would say. It, it, it mostly kind of feels like a, a drama for a lot of it, but a drama that lacks any kind of depth or interesting insights into its characters. Uh, I will get say Kevin Bacon, it does a pretty good job as this kind of jaded, jaded cynic type. Uh, and I, I think Amanda Seyfried is also pretty good. I mean, for me, it's just, I wish these actors had more to work with. Uh, everything with the script feels very baseline and simplistic. And I think there was an interesting opportunity to kind of comment on, uh, the, the Hollywood culture and the kind of the, I think it's weird that this movie has this couple have this giant age difference and it really feels like something that it's trying to say something with it, like about like kind of Hollywood relationships and how these men look at young women as kind of prized jewels in, in their kind of relationships rather than like actual people. But the movie really doesn't engage with that kind of idea. So instead, it's just kind of weird that Kevin Bacon is with someone who's like 30 years younger than him. But uh, as far as like kind of the aspects of the movie that try to deal with the the trauma of the character, which I I won't go into spoilers, but it's it's a certain actions that Kevin Bacon had in his past that that continue to haunt him. Uh, It doesn't really 
delve that deep into the these dramatic aspects and it doesn't do anything that creative uh from a filmmaking perspective to unearth them i think a lot of the movie at least for me just kind of meandered and it felt very kind of dull and simplistic and I, I do think at, at least it tried to bring a kind of different sensibility to the, the Haunted House movie. It, it did try to have this more dramatic leaning, but I, I just thought the dramatic aspects here were largely inert and generally uninteresting. So I, I'm going to give this a four out of 10. Uh, yeah, don't watch it. I mean, if it's on TV in five years on, on TNT at two in the morning, maybe, but it, it did seem like a kind of a movie that Blumhouse was happy to kind of dump on VOD because I remember it was like announced at like the end of May or like maybe the very beginning of June that Blumhouse was releasing this. So it seemed like something they've had on the back burner for a little bit and we're like, all right, let's just kind of put it out there and see what happens. So yeah, not not the best, but our, our next movie, Lost Bullet, uh, it's a pleasant surprise, and I did want to end the movie or end the show by talking about it because I think it's a movie that, while it's been doing pretty well on Netflix, I think it's been in their top ten films since its release. A few, I think, the nineteenth. Uh, it's not a movie I'm seeing a lot of American audiences talk about, and I think it's a movie that a lot of American audiences should check out because I think it plays into the kind of action wheelhouse very well. Uh, it's this kind of familiar crime story i kind of in my review i called it a a fusion between the the machismo action elements of fast and furious with kind of the grounded approach of drive uh that's kind of what i would care compare it to but let me me pull up a quick synopsis uh we follow who do we follow who we follow it's been a week or two since i've seen the movie so i just need to get the character names here real quick uh, we follow Lino, who is sent to prison for an attempted heist gone wrong. And after a few months in prison, he's hired by a task force leader to kind of be a mechanic for these uh, task force missions and aid them. But along the way, his mentor slash the task force leader is murdered by a pair of dirty cops in the force and Lino is being framed for this. So Lino not only has to, you know, survive the police pursuit, but also prove his innocence and kind of get revenge for his fallen uh, mentor. So it's a very simplistic action film design, but I think director, writer, Guillermo Piert, uh, his movie really understands and is really self-aware about what it's trying to accomplish. Like it's, it, it almost to like a, a, a detriment at times. Cause the movie really doesn't have a first act. Like it, it, it really quickly introduces these character dynamics. Like Lino goes to jail and then the next scene, Lino gets freed from jail. And then Lino has already been working with him for like a couple months. Like it, it, everything feels very rushed, which I think does severely uh limit the kind of the dramatic capacity of the movie but as far as making a taut action movie i think he pierre really succeeds and i think he really brings a lot of creativity uh to the table there's 
kind of a sequence where he they're sword fighting with shotguns, where it's like they run out of ammo with their shotguns, so they start like hit, trying to hit each other with it, and they're kind of having like sword play with it. That's really kind of goofy and fun. There's a a moment at the end of the film after a car accident uh, that Lino's driving a car that's literally on fire, literally about to blow up. He's just driving it on fire, which was fucking awesome moment and it was so like just wild to watch and like uproariously entertaining and it really i think i appreciate its self-awareness and it's very kind of simplistic design and that it just really pursues kind of relentless thrills uh with a lot of great filmmaking and a lot of poise i i do think uh I think Pierre, I think maybe with his future projects or period, uh, I hope he develops more of a kind of a, of his own distinct style. I think some of the shots can feel a little flat or, you know, the, the kind of the shaky hand to hand scenes, you know, I think there could have been more of maybe of an interesting presentation visually of these moments, but the actual coordination of the stunts and everything is really, really well done. I, I think, Oh wait, there's also a scene where he, he, Lito's trying to escape prison and there's like 10 people around him and he takes like the pepper spray and like sprays all of them. Like it's, there's a lot of really great little moments here that even like a week or so after seeing the movie that kind of stick to my head and that I, I remember pretty fondly. And I also think the movie benefits from being self-aware without winking at the camera or playing uh, its action elements too broadly or too comedically. So I, I really appreciate that because a lot of movies like this that are in pursuit of kind of B movie thrills, they'll, they'll try to be cheeky about it and, you know, Oh, look at this, look how silly this is. And it, it, it really takes you out of the movie, but this movie, uh, it, it very earnestly and uh, with a straight face kind of portrays its narrative. Uh, like I said, though, it really is missing like a first act or any sort of establishment for these characters. And the character work in general just feels really rushed and unearned. Uh, and it doesn't really offer anything that different from your typical action movie. I, I kind of wish Lino maybe had a bit more personality as an action star. He's very just kind of your stoic kind of we, I'm here for revenge to get stuff done. Like all the characters here are just very stoic. And, and kind of flat. I kind of wish they had maybe a little more either dimension or maybe personality. But as far as just a straightforward B-movie action movie, Lost Bullet, I think really delivers the goods. And, I, you know, it's definitely one of the better action movies I've seen in, in a while, which is more of a, a testament to how few good action movies there's been recently. But I, I had a lot of fun watching it. As I'm, I'm a big fan of these kind of b-movie genre uh, actioneer throwbacks kind of so i i really it was really up my wheelhouse and i enjoyed it quite a bit so i'll give lost bullet a six and a half out of ten worth worth a watch uh so those are the the five movies i wanted to talk about today i hope this podcast went kind of smoothly. I know it's my first one in roughly a year. So I definitely wanted to just get some of the rust off and, you know, talk about stuff that's out. I know with theaters not being open, it's like, it can be easy to feel like there's nothing coming out, but it's like, there's some stuff, you know, if you look on your streaming services, check Netflix and Hulu and Amazon prime, there's always little things that are dropping. I think, these platforms really need to get better at marketing some of their movies because as I'll talk about with some of the catch-up uh, 
pods I plan on doing this week. There, there's a couple of gems that I think uh, haven't really been highlighted or, or presented enough to the public. But I thank you for tuning back in, and if you're if you're listening for sticking along this long, uh, hopefully this is something I can do a lot more frequently going forward, and hopefully each episode will improve. And I'm always open to suggestions. Uh, either for a topic or if you, you know, anyone has interest in coming on and appearing, you know, I'm going to try to open this up and and do different things with it. So thank you. Uh, Feel free to subscribe to the pod feed, you know, all that. And have a great day.